What's up, everyone? How's it going? Welcome to another episode of Academic San Amigos. I'm your host, Anthony Ramirez. This week, we have a very special guest with us, and that is Dr. Tiffany Gonzalez, and she's a postdoctoral fellow in uh, women's history at Tulane University. So, uh, Tiffany, welcome. It's great to have you on the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to chat with you today. This is awesome. Um, prior to recording, we were talking about like some of the people that we know, like um, and, and uh, Manny Grajal is one of um, one of my friends and former guests from season one. Um, you know, he told me he, he's super excited that I'm, I'm interviewing you and that you're a guest on the show. And um, it's, a, it's a mutual friend that we both have. Yeah, and me and him started um, graduate graduate school together at A and M. Um, back in 2015, so we were in the same cohort, and we, I guess, for lack of a better way to explain it, we grew up with each other, right, as adults yeah. into this graduate training, and so mm-hmm. we still remain in contact. You know, we talk about academic business, but also personal business, and I think that's that's the that's the beauty and the magic of mm-hmm. graduate school when you meet um, certain peers that become friends, not just in the academic world, but in the personal realm, mm-hmm. and so. Yeah, so and he's been a great, a great colleague over the years and great friend. So yeah. I'm really happy he, we, you know him too. And I guess you met him through um, a Latinx organization on campus. Yeah, at A and M. For okay, here's a funny story. I don't know if I ever mentioned it in the <laughs> podcast before, but um, so my first year of uh, I entered my P, the PhD program here at A and M. What ends up happening is that I'm trying to find community. I'm trying to find somebody, you know, to, you know, so I can feel a little bit more at home and feel a bit more comfortable. You know what I mean? Um, And so I asked my advisor, uh, I go, hey, Dr. Shrevi, do you have any suggestions of like programs or organizations I can look into so I can find other people who are Mm -hmm. Latino, Latina, Latinx? And she goes, oh, look up these groups. I'm like, okay. So I look up these groups. So I look up, um, at the time, it was a HLGSA, Hispanic Latino mm-hmm. Graduate Student Association. And so um, I, contact, I, I get in contact and I email some people that um, it said on the contact form. And so um, at the, I, it said, um, I think it was Rosemary at the time who, was, uh, who, was, who it said on the thing, right? And then so I went down like a rabbit hole of people. <laughs> like I went down, uh, I think like three people, three or four people. Uh, in order to try to get information about it. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, what the heck's going on? So long story short, they, they, the, the organization was kind of like um, non-existent anymore. And it kind of went under. And so what ended up happening is that they were looking for a new president and everything like that. And then uh, I met up with Melissa Ochoa, who um, was one of the former presidents at that time. And she asked me, hey, would you be interested in being a president? And everything like that. I'm like, I'm a first year, you know, I'm, I'm a fish out of water. You know what I mean? I'm like, I'm bare, I'm new to this. I'm like, are you sure you want like a first year PhD doing, uh, being a president? And she's like, yeah, it's cool. It's cool. It's not that much work. I'm like, okay, I'm like, all right. So, you know, you know, being naive and, and all that, um, I take up the position, right? I, I ended up being the president for about a year, about a year, year and a half or so. Uh, and then, so we, tra- you know, we ended up growing this non-existent uh, organization from like zero to five people, right? From a- another group of people who were really interested in wanting to bring up this group. And then from there, we grew that into uh, 20 to 35 to 40. And now it's grown even more now that I'm no longer president. But we helped build, and I always would tell people, we need to build a foundation in order to make this thing grow. 
And so long story short, I met Manny through that. <laughs> and I met him through mm-hmm. the L, um, which is now LGSA. We ended up um, rebranding the, the organization to make it more uh, inclusive. Uh, we changed it to the Latinx Graduate Student Association. We gave, we gave it a fresh look and everything like that too. And so, um, yeah, that's how I met Manny through there. Yeah, so um, it, it's, it was just a crazy situation, but it was a fun situation. I learned a lot and met a lot of amazing people in that, in that time. But yeah, um, that's a little story of yeah. too. Well, I'm really happy. That's how you got involved. I remember when I um, got to A&M, that was one, the only organization, right? Mm-hmm. You know, how do you build community? Mm-hmm. And for those listening, that Texas A&M is a predominantly white institution, mm-hmm. right? And so how do you build community when you're a person of color, when you're a brown uh, Latinx, a brown Mexican-American, that you would just want to you want to feel included, right? Yeah. You want to be part, part of a community because that's mm-hmm. really what sustains us, especially yeah. in grad school. It's so rooted in our culture, too. Like community yeah. and family and stuff like that um, are so rooted in our culture, too, and our, in our, in our you know, racial background, too. Like community and family, those are two things that are, like, really hold us together. And... Um, you know, it's like you said, it's like we need to find that, you know, and to find that commonality and, and it kind of holds us together too, and keeps us sane, <laughs> you know, yeah. at least for me, it was one of those things that it, it keeps me level headed and just to see that there are other people like that are like minded and um, that, you know, have the same commonalities in that sense uh, and can understand some of the, you know, like, man, I'm craving tacos. Where are the good places at? You know, and things like that. You know, the, you know they call it the Whisper Network, but this is the Latino Network, right? Like, Yo, where do you get I like food? that. We, we, that's, that's a new thing. This, we're we're going to make a new thing out of this, Tiffany. Like, we're, we're calling it now the Latino, Latinx Whisper Network. We're going to make a whole thing <laughs> out of this now. Okay. <laughs> I love that. I love that. That's, you, yeah, because, I mean, that's how... How do you, I mean, cause it's not predominantly known in larger, the larger society, but we have to, we say it amongst ourselves, right. In conversation and passing. And so it's the, you know, it's the, it's that mm-hmm. part of that, that the next whisper network that we just created. Yeah, yeah <laughs> the there, we there we go. We're going to, we're going to make this into a thing now. It's a, it's a thing now. <laughs> hashtag, it now. hashtag uh, <laughs> that next whisper network, your full branding coming out, t-shirts, stickers, <laughs> Oh, that'd be yeah. cool. That'd be dope. Um, but yeah, it's, it's uh, community is a big, big thing. It really is. Um, speaking about community and entering, um, you know, with Manny and stuff, what made you interested about pursuing a PhD? And um, also, like, what, what, what are your research interests? And how did you, you know, how did you become interested in this subject matter? Yeah, so for me, I guess it's such a long winded story. I guess to start off the first part, what got interested in me in a PhD? Well, okay, so I always knew I had to go to school because my dad, he was like, you got to go get your education. He, I mean, they didn't go to, my parents didn't go to college, but it's something ingrained. And it's also a dynamic shift that was within my own family, right? It was my dad telling me I had to go get an education. So I always knew in the back of my head that I had to go to college. I didn't know what college. I didn't know the hierarchies of, of earning an education, what that meant in society. But I, you know, I went, I ended up, getting admitted and accepted full ride to Texas Tech in Lubbock, Texas. So I went there. And so taking history classes, I was always somehow always attracted to like political history classes, uh, history classes and like women's history classes. And so those were the, the majority of the, the, the history classes for my major mm-hmm. um, that I would take, the, the ones that were elective that weren't required. 
Um, but when I first started tech, I, I went as a pre-med, right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, for many of us, uh, Mexican, Mexican children growing up, we all got to be doctors. <laughs> we start doctors like, or lawyers or engineers. <laughs> and, yeah. So that's like the, the, the predetermined plan that our mom or, you know, our family has. Mm-hmm. For me, it was my mom. Yo quiero doctora. Yo quiero doctora. And so that's why I went to tech, you know, pre-med, um, biology major. And then I quickly realized that science was not for me. Like, I'm not, yeah. that's just not my thing. Um, no, se me prende, no, no tengo las pilas for it. And mm-hmm. so, but what I was attracted, like I said earlier, was history classes and like, mm-hmm women's history and American political history. And so there was one class with a professor that I took consecutively. Um, he was, he's great. He was great back then, but there was questions, right? When I would sit into his class, when he would teach these American political history classes, Mm -hmm. I would, you know, I was a wallflower, very shy, no hablaba tanto. And so, but I would question to myself, like, well, how have women shaped um, American politics. Mm-hmm. Well, not just women. How have women that look like me, like what like back then, more commonly was referred to as you know Mexican American. We I didn't hear that much Latinx or Latino back in the early two thousands. So for me, it was like women that look like me as a Mexican American woman. Who, how did they shape politics? And those questions came to mind um, largely because um, growing up in Chicago. Um, my mom would take me, she was always really involved in like local politics with the neighborhood mm-hmm. politics. Mm-hmm. And we, I grew up in a predominantly um, Mexican immigrant, Mexican American neighborhood of Brighton park in Southwest Chicago. Mm-hmm. And so I just remember that that neighborhood and that, you know, that ward was always very politically active with Mexicanos, right? They, mm-hmm. they would meet at lo- local churches or they would go create cer- certain functions at, you know, a local hall. And people would meet up and just hear the alderman talk. And, and so I would go with my mom. So those memories, right, would always draw me back to when I would sit in class. Like, but where are these women? Like, why am I not learning about these women? And a lot of that is what kind of drove me to go to grad school. But mm-hmm. not, not just because of the research, but also because looking at the demographic of, of sitting in classrooms, that wasn't a lot of professors, again, like representation. There wasn't a lot of Latinx mm-hmm. professors, brown professors, uh, you know, even black professors in many of the classes that I took. And so I knew that me, I needed mentoring, but I didn't have it back then. Mm-hmm. And so that was another con más ganas, right? Like, mm-hmm. I want to be a professor. I want to change, you know, academia. I want to research these questions that I have that might be simplistic to those already established in the field. Mm-hmm. But for me, it's so important for the people that reflect my ideas yeah. and my identity. Mm-hmm. And so that was, and so I, so I graduated back in 2009. Um, that was when the, the recession, right? The recession hit. And so a lot of us that graduated during that time were just hit with the obstacles. Right. And so, um, I took a little bit of time off and then I went back and got my master's and I worked with, you know, a great advisor, um, at tech, uh, Julie Willett and Emily Skidmore, Miguel Lavario that, you know, they encouraged me, right. That they, they saw the potential in me. Um, and they knew that, you know, that academia needed more representation, mm-hmm. right, of, of Latinas, of Mexican-American women, 
And if you have the capability, right, if you have the capability to do it, then why not encourage that and mentor them? Mm -hmm. And so I earned my master's and my master's, that's what kind of really drew me into what became my dissertation topic at Mm A&M. And so at A&M, I worked with Sonia Hernandez, Felipe Hinojosa, Carlos Blanton, um, they're the all-star. I mean, they were, yeah, if, yeah. I, if I could do Latinx history, Chicano history, Mexican-American history, I, I mean, it, it was with them, right? Because at that mm-hmm. time, again, it goes back to what I'm saying about representation is that there weren't that many programs across the nation, right? Especially in the Southwest or Midwest that had such a strong um, cohort, right? A faculty that had Latinx history, Um and the, you know, I could have gone to California, I could have applied, but I did because I wanted to stay close to home. And that might have been a double-edged sword for me mm-hmm. for, other, for other matters of, of academic politics, right, of hierarchies. Mm-hmm. But it worked out in the long run. It worked out in my favor because I did. I was able to finish my dissertation. Um, I was able to bring an outside scholar, Maria Cotera, from the University of Michigan, Wow. who uh, who's very knowledgeable on Chicano feminism. She was, she's a legacy of the movement, which I'll talk about later. Um, and then, you know, now in land, land of postdoc. But with my research, um, I really, from my master's thesis, those questions, right, of like, how have Chicanas for Mexican-American women or Latinas shaped American politics? And that's what drove me into my dissertation topic of, you know, and um, that is now my tentative manuscript um, titled Representation for a Change, How Chicanas Transformed American Politics in the 20th Century. That's such a cool is... title. That's such <laughs> a cool so title. Funny. Let me just say that. Like, I love that title. And thank you. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's still working. Um, working mm-hmm. title, you know, later on the book, the book publisher might change it, but mm-hmm. that's the point of it, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's kind of building on those very you know some people like I said might think of it as immature questions of like how have you know Mexican-American Chicanos Latinas shaped America but it's those are serious questions right yeah definitely. those are serious questions like they're very simplistic question is something serious that leads up to bigger questions and so what I found is like narrowing it down to Chicanas and Mexican-American women um we can see areas of where not that they've just been marginalized, but just like forgotten. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I, my manuscript dives into the early 20th century, right. When we look at early civil rights organizations, such as, you know, two prominent examples, LULAC and American GI forum, yeah. the literature is there about those two early civic organizations. Phenomenal historians have written about it, but what I reinforced to build up to my larger point within my book is that, look at who's creating these grassroots mobilizations. So not who hit it. Like mm-hmm. they're the ones doing the work on the ground, mm-hmm. right? They're learning the skills of what is grassroots mobilizations with pageants, mm-hmm. with um, they're out there selling the poll tax. Cause that was mm-hmm. before 1965. Mm-hmm. They're out there creating those, the social gatherings. Mm-hmm. They're campaigning. They're cre- They're mobilizing the voter, right? They're running yeah. the voter registration drives. Mm-hmm. And so my point is like, we, I lead up to this early 20th century to the mid 20th century and late to like the 1960s and 1970s to show with the rise of the Chicano civil rights movement that mm-hmm. the civil rights movement, yes, it is about civil rights, right? It's about Chicano liberation, self-determination. It's about um, police reform, something that's, you know, that the conversation is really present, but back then it was like radical. They're like, no, like yeah. we can't have like the larger political systems. Like we can't have this, but this mm-hmm. is common. Like mm-hmm. they were pushing for it. Um, 
but something that's missed within like the historiography is that this fight was also about Chicana's representation in government, right? Mm-hmm. That because of their exclusion of the political system, now they're trying to advance the Chicano civil rights movement through getting recruiting Chicanas to run and serve as public officials, right? To create more resources for the community. Um, and so that's like kind of the breakthrough, right? That 1970s is a breakthrough for more um, Mexican origin women, Chicanas, Mexican American women to run for public office. And so we have with that, with that push with La Razonita Party, um, through the National Women's Political Caucus, the Texas Women's Political Caucus, the Chicanas involved in there are, you know, creating their own political organizations to recruit more women to run for office. They're involved in the mainstream women's uh, feminist movement. They're involved in the Chicano movement. But because of, you know, um, sexism, classism, racism, th- between all both movements, they're they're strategizing con, con movidas, right? They're creating yeah. those spaces of where to advance um, themselves. And ironically, that advances both movements. Mm-hmm. Because if you're having more women run for public office that, that are politically conscious about feminist um, initiatives such as um, education, um, healthcare, mm-hmm. um, women's rights, mm-hmm. childcare, um, that advances not just Chicanas, but that's all of women, right? That creates more resources. Mm-hmm. And so... From there, I show how the women involved in um, the Mexican American business uh, business professional organization and the caucus and that Unida party helped um, recruit the first uh, Mexican American woman, Irma uh, Angel, to run for state representative, and she won right out That's of Kingsville. Awesome. And a lot of the, she's responsible for passing the legislation, the top ten percent plan, right mm-hmm. in Texas, that. Um, the top 10 students of their class had automatic acceptance to uh, the top universities in, in the Texas, uh, so, such as A&M and UT, right? Mm-hmm. It's a, it's, it's Otra Tejana. It's a Mexican American woman that, mm-hmm. that did that. Right. But what is it? So like, so a broad s- scope of that is that, so we see, we know historically, like that's what I'm showing is that if I'm showing that women are, um, have been so powerful in, being able to organize and mobilize the community mm-hmm. through even with through exclusion right even more yeah. so through exclusion yeah it's been strategic and powerful why is it that they're not being paid attention to and i think mm-hmm. that goes to something that um to bring it to today is that my point of this story is that when we look at this might be going and i don't know if you want me to start talking about yeah, well, that, um, elections. We'll, we'll we'll definitely transition into that. Yeah. Do you, do you want me to? Yeah. So yeah, like while we're on that subject okay. matter, um, yeah. yeah, I was about to ask you about that. Like after after you're mentioning all this, but yeah, this is this is definitely like something that um I was gonna lead into. Um, so I was curious, like with the election coming up, like what do you mm-hmm. think that what like as a researcher and as a scholar that focuses on the subject matter, what do you think that um, politicians need to do in order to attract the Latinx vote? And additionally, what should Latinx communities do in order to get uh, more involved into politics? And I find it fascinating there that you also focus on the Latinas too. You know, um, I think mm-hmm. we need both like both Latinos and Latinos and just people of the Latinx community in general to be more a part of um, politics, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, I find your research fascinating, by the way. This is amazing stuff that you're Thanks doing. Thanks so much, Anthony. This yeah. is so cool. And um, this, this is stuff that really needs to be showcased. Um, 
because I always reiterate within my own personal research too that we're so understudied and underrepresented in all fronts. You know, I personally focus on media and popular culture, but it happens everywhere. We're like so underrepresented everywhere. And even in hearing your own research that you're conducting and that, that you've worked on, you know, I hear that that's a problem there within politics too. So it's like, what can we do? Like, what, like, you know, in your, your um, opinion, what are some maybe statistics that you've seen or what are some things that you think we can do to get better at this? Yeah. I mean, historically, like I've said, like for my, for my topic, right. Yes. I've we know, like maybe not, we, maybe we don't know. Maybe that's the point of my, you know, my book is like to show people that, you know, Latinas, Mexican-American women, Chicanas, you know, all these identifying prospects, but it's been women, right? Mm-hmm. It's been Latinas that been mobilizing, right? Mm-hmm. For what we know. Mm-hmm. And what's so ironic, and, and this goes back to like research, contemporary research that I've been doing um, for my book is that, you know, for the 2020 election, you know, I, Pew Research, so I was reading Pew Research and it says that, you know, there's going to be 33 million Latinos, Latinx that are going to be eligible to vote, right? And so looking back in the midterm elections, um, only 11% voted, right? right? So that's like, eh, <laughs> we're like, yeah. um, and so, but ironically, the breakdown of that, and this is what I find so interesting, it goes back to my point, is that when the midterm election, the break, like the gender breakdown, Latinas, women was 73%. Wow. Right? And then compared to their counterpart, Latinos, you know, as, you know, Mm -hmm. Pew Research, and I quote, Pew Research uses the word Hispanic to to identify. And I I mean, I think it's problematic. I don't know, but that's my point. (laughs) So I'll use quotes. Um, It says that 63% of men compared, you know, 73 to 60. That's a big, like, 10% gap. And so that goes back to my point is, like, why are we not listening to what women are doing? Mm -hmm. Why? Like, and so Mm -hmm. I think one way to answer your first question is that, it's important to look to encourage and mobilize Latinas, uh, Mexican American women, Chicanas, um, in the Southwest. Um, mobilize them because they have the power, right? Mm-hmm. We, and so, and it's even more ironic because the the photos that you see about when a recent a recent article by the Atlantic, um, they were talking about this, right? They were talking about how the responses of the Latinx voters during the pandemic and the first photo they, they used, the photo that they used mm-hmm. to highlight this article, um, it was Latinas. It was Latinas in the forefront. And mm-hmm. then you see the people behind it. And I'm like, you have Latinas, that's symbolic mm-hmm. of something. Definitely. But they're just not paying attention. Mm-hmm. And so I think in general, aside from that, I think it is to put more resources, right, into the community, right? Um, and that comes from the local, from the grassroots level, from the government, federal level, right? There needs to be more money um, funneled into the, the Latinx community, the Latinx um, neighborhoods, organizations. But I think one issue with that is that it, the Latinx demographic is complicated and diverse in itself. Mm-hmm. That, and that's historically bound, right? Like there have been points of uh, tension and points of unity within the demographic, within Mexican Americans and Puerto Ricans and Cubans, where they're able to mobilize and create organizations um, for Latinidad, for pan ethnic um, community. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the historical differences within each with each demographic is what's made it really hard, right, for mm-hmm. for to create a united vote, right, a Latinx mm-hmm. vote. Um, and so, but I think looking back historically, 
Um, if we look at just the Mexican American demographic, that, that there's such a rich history there of of community organizing. You know, if you give the people the power and the resources, um, power mean money, like funneling more money into those communities. Mm-hmm. It's it's astronomical of what they can do, right? Because mm-hmm. there's a history of Mexican Americans creating voter registration drives. You have the Southwest Voter Registration Project from the 1970s, right? With Willie Velasquez and, you know, registering the community to vote. Mm-hmm. You have mutual aid pro- groups from the early 20th century. Mm-hmm. You have the civil rights organizations, right? You have, um, and depending on the city and the region, you have local neighborhood organizations, mm-hmm. right? That, you know, politicize the community. And so I think a lot of what politicians need to do, what, what I mean, What's it's unfortunate that they haven't they always they have always looked to Latinos, Mexican Americans for the vote cuando les conviene, right? Mm. That's historically bound. We know that. Yeah, we can yeah. see that. I mean, it's not it's just true. me saying opinion based, but if we look at you know the historically the Viva Kennedy campaigns, the Viva Johnson campaigns, those mm. worked. Like, mm-hmm. It was run by Mexican Americans at the mm-hmm. local level, grassroots level, mm-hmm. and you know work. I mean authors historians have written you know that was key for kennedy to mobilize and get the vote for mexican americans in texas in the southwest and that was just an, it wasn't just a part of the southwest but you know viva kennedy campaigns were also a part of the midwest um but how important that was for politicians right for kennedy to get mm-hmm. that to create these small um campaign organizations mm-hmm. by relying and using the mexican americans but and when we see that, so right now with with the 2020 election with Biden and with Trump, um, you know, I won't speak much about, you know, Hispanic Republicans, um, not that much about uh, Latinos in the Democrat Party, but I think overarchingly politicians need to pay attention to what the Latinx demographic needs, right? Mm-hmm. What are, the, what resources do they need? Yeah. And give them the power right mm-hmm. and so but it's so hard because it's such a diverse population definitely um, it's such it's 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 diverse but we what has worked right and so going back to funneling in resources to those communities is that we see the what we've seen right now is with current organizations such as jolt um which grew out of a it's a latino centered organization to for voter for latinx voter participation that grew out of uh christina ramirez Mm-hmm. Um, she ran for us the, for the U.S. Senate um, last year and then earlier this year, and she lost. Mm-hmm. But these organizations, right, that are run by Latinx for Latinx, right, mm-hmm. to get them registered to vote and make them aware of their political power, right? Mm-hmm. Because they know it, but it sometimes it's encouragement, right? right. And getting them and providing the resources. So like historically there's been a lot of voter suppression within the Mm -hmm. demographic. Mm -hmm. Um, you've had, uh, you have gerrymandering, you've had, um, which the other one, um, literacy test in the early 10th century, you had poll taxes, Mm -hmm. right? You had patronage politics, Mm -hmm. like all these, all these types that have just suppressed the actual voter turnout. Mm -hmm. And even now, like even 2020, what we're still hearing about is that, um, there's not, a, there's not enough voting places mm-hmm. voting, you know, to vote within 
important neighborhoods, important mm-hmm. districts, right? And it even at Texas and campus, it was just released. There's not accessible voting places for the for the student populations to vote. And that's that's another type of voter suppression that affects, right? That affects the community because looking back at research, contemporary research, right? Um, within the last four years is that it's been the Latinx younger demographic that, that have turned out the most, like mm-hmm. the millennial that turned out to vote. And that, mm-hmm. you know, by breakdown by um, ethnicity, ethnicity isn't shown yet because it's, again, like monopolized mm-hmm. as the Latinx vote. But when they break down an age, like millennials are the most, and then Gen, I think Gen Y, um, which is mine, and then baby boomers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it gets less and less and less. Mm-hmm. But they're targeting, you know, universities and not, or, you know, maybe not just universities, but again, like local areas of, to provide these polling places. And that's, that's unfortunate, right? Mm-hmm. And another unfortunate aspect is that many, you know, there are people of the working poor, the working class, and even the middle class, you know, we don't have a day that we can take a day off and just vote, right? Porque it's tienen true. que trabajar. It's true. Tienen que trabajar. They can't afford mm-hmm. to take a day off, mm-hmm. right? And so that affects, you know, voting. That affects representation. And so, but that's ingrained in the system, right? Yeah. Who yeah. gets to vote? Yeah. And then who gets represented? It turns into a whole class thing, too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, and it's unfortunate. So all these factors, right? Mm-hmm. And so, but going back to like more of the optimistic is that, um, that hopefully it's not too late is that it's important, right? It's important to reach out to Latinx demographics and by, you know, by their, you know, um, national origin, ethnic origin, mm-hmm. because we all, all are, you know, who we are as, you know, I am, you know, Chicana, I am Mexican American. And so our cultural, um, our cult, my culture and, and like we spoke earlier, culture and family is so intertwined in how mm-hmm. we view ourselves within the world. And so each community, each ethnic community has their own way of doing things. Definitely. We can't even, we can't monopolize that. And so I think it's important for politicians to go to each community and see what their needs are, right? Mm-hmm. Ask them because everything's different. Immigration is different for Puerto Ricans, for Cubans, mm-hmm. for Mexicanos, um, South Central Americans, so what is it that they need right mm. um but at the but overarchingly i think it's important for latinx to get out and vote right mm-hmm. like make sure they have their resources available for them because they have the power it's just creating those resources definitely how do you like so i, I guess another question i have for you because i was thinking about this as you were you know talking and, and discussing all this um I was curious, how do you think that new media such as social media has really changed the landscape of um, politics and uh, like attracting towards certain demographics like Latinas, Latinos, and the Latinx community? I mean, I think it has creatively and brilliantly shaped how, what we understand of political activism, right? Mm. And it's so, I, I mean, for me, like I get stuck sometimes 10 minutes on Instagram because I'm looking at these reels or I'm looking at these, what did they call the PowerPoint activism mm. where it's like, you know, reasons why to vote or like reason, like 11, you know, like certain reasons of like hot topics like Black Lives Matter. Mm. Like what is it? And I'll summarize it with in Instagram by, you know, photo slides. Mm. 
for, I'm not on TikTok, TikTok, but I know a lot of people that are, and I've heard a lot of, you know, talk about it, that TikTok has also shaped the way people come to understand topics, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's a great way that it has reached a a larger net, right? A larger Mm -hmm. net of, 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 um, of a larger net of demographic. Um, and I don't want to just say people that can vote because what, what about, you know, and I will specifically stick to Latinos or Latinx, you know, that don't, that can't vote because of, mm-hmm. you know, citizenship, but mm-hmm. it can politicize them. Right. Right. They feel, they feel that part of the, part of the society and part of the system by spreading the word about mm-hmm. what it means to, to be politicized in the U S right. Become mm-hmm. knowledgeable and it's not just that demographic, but the larger demographic, right? I know that a lot of my friends, and um, a lot of my white friends, have become more knowledgeable about black, like black issues, brown issues through social media. Mm-hmm. And so, I think, given the times and historically, like you know, you know, forty, fifty years ago, what was social media? It was you know the telephone, like that's how you connected, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it was yeah. newspapers. It was newspapers, mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. was very you know you would people will send an edit, a letter to the editor or mm-hmm. um, political cartoons, mm-hmm. flyers, buttons, and all that's still still very present today, right? But what makes I think what's really transformed um, how social media has transformed is that it's gone global, right? It's definitely. It's, you know, it's not just, you know, global, globalism existed back then. Like not, not to say that it didn't, but it's a different type of globalization mm-hmm. right? that's going on. Um, and it's creating awareness about all these different topics. And I think it's, it's changed, right? It's, can't, it's changed the way people campaign, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's the way people, not just to create awareness, but for financial campaign, like now, I see a lot of AOC talking about, you know, campaigning or other politicians and you can, they'll automatically give you a link of where to submit money to. Mm-hmm. And now I'm just like, it's right there. We're on our yeah. phones all the time, but now yeah. we can just do it. And sometimes Apple pay, you have your credit card saved and mm-hmm. so you can just do it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. social, <laughs> social media has really shaped the way, um, I think campaigning is structured, um, networking, mm-hmm. um, and creating awareness about issues mm-hmm. right um and so not just positive but also there's also negative because you still i mean depending on what side you you side on you still see the negative you still see mm-hmm. what you know the hate the racist sexist rhetoric on there and mm-hmm. the counteract the activism that's being done on social media mm-hmm. but Fortunately that, you know, now, now it's transparent, right? Yeah. Now, you know, now yeah. you hear like, Oh, yeah. I see this on your Instagram. I see this on your Facebook mm-hmm. or your t- TikTok. Mm-hmm. Oh, we know then yeah, yeah. we don't have to question. We know. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. So, <laughs> it, it, you definitely, so, yeah. You're definitely right. That it's added a layer of transparency and openness that I don't, that I don't think that we got back in the day um, or even like maybe mm, I would say it maybe started like around, the Obama era where things really started to be like, okay, things are a little bit more transparent now thanks to social media and, and Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all that. Yeah. And even more so now, even with our current president, um, that he's so Twitter active, you know? Um, I'm, I'm not a fan of him, for, you know, but um, to those who are, hey, more power to you, yeah. you know, um, right on. Um, but um, this isn't a political conversation, even though we're talking about politics. But um, 
I, I, you know, he's so active on his Twitter and he's talking, you know, it's it just, you know, interesting the way that we see through social media and through new forms of communication, the way that politicians are talking now, because it's not just mm-hmm. President Trump who's doing this, but even like AOC, uh, Biden, uh, Obama, like all different types of pol- politicians are using these platforms in order to really, you know, showcase like, one aspect of themselves or another or to um showcase a certain form of rhetoric over another too you know whether it's positive or negative it's an interesting dynamic absolutely and so i think for me i have to step back right as Mm -hmm. as a historian of politics of american politics of latinas and politics of women politics i have to step back but as a as a as a regular just viewer of social media or engager of social media, I'm in love with it. I'm like, oh, me, I can follow this person. It's, it's like cheese me for us. But yeah, but when I say like I have to step back, I, mean, I think this in general is that for general population is that when we follow these folks, these leaders, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for example, AOC, um, Trump, like whatever side you're on, like I'm all about AOC. Like I you know. Mm-hmm. Give me a shirt. Give me a shirt and I'll wear it all day. I think she's awesome. I think she's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah. And so, like, what, what, what we, for me, is that even though we're able to be so engaged in their lives, even mm-hmm. though they, they're giving us only what they need to give us, mm-hmm. right? We don't know really what's, that mm-hmm. we need, we, we have to remember not to romanticize them because at the end yeah. of the day, across the board, they're politicians. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, mm-hmm. and it's, that's what I always have to remember is that cannot romanticize these folks, mm-hmm. right? Because they're the ones in charge of, you know, how much money is funneled into certain communities, the mm-hmm. resources, my rights, right? Mm-hmm. My rights as a Brown woman in the United States, granted, like, you know, I'm supposedly protected by being born here. You know, the rhetoric that Trump spews out is that, I'm always supposed to be going, I'm supposed to be going back to Mexico, right? Like I'm supposed to, like I'm not a part of here. Mm -hmm. And so I have to make sure that, um, that, that I'm not romanticizing these leaders. Right. Mm -hmm. And that goes back into my own research, right. Is that make sure having that balance of like, what's real, what's really going on Mm -hmm. and like keep, it's about accountability, right. Making sure we continue to keep these folks accountable um, to make sure that they are supporting the needs mm-hmm. of the Latinx demographic, right? Of those that, depending on, again, going back to that demographic so diverse, is that depending on their needs and what they need to to thrive mm-hmm. in this nation. Yeah, definitely. Um, you brought up somebody that I, I, I kind of wanted to mention too, because like throughout this conversation, she kind of like, boom, popped into my head like a little light bulb. Um, AOC, um, <laughs> you know, I, I like uh, for those who don't know who AOC is, uh, Alejandra um, Ocasio-Cortez, right? Um, I think she's awesome. And she's like one of those uh, politicians that we've been seeing that is kind of like the forefront Latina, you know, within politics mm-hmm. right now. And how can, you know, what makes her successful and her campaign successful in comparison to maybe um, other Latinas that you don't see as much as in the forefront, you know? Um, You know, what's your opinion on that, Tiffany? From from what, like, just from me analyzing, um, since she got into office, what was it, two years ago? Two years ago? Um, 
what's made her, I think what's made her so successful is that granted she wrote it, she, she wrote, um, she conducted a very progressive grassroots campaign, right? Mm -hmm. Like at the very basic level, Mm -hmm. um, mobilizing the people. But I think also what's strategic, what's helped her strategically is that social media, Mm -hmm. like she's really one that's been like on Mm -hmm. it, like on Instagram, creating the videos doing clapbacks on Twitter to like politicians that, you know, disrespect her and it's all tactful. Right. But she's, she's engaging in a wider public and creating that transparency. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, through social media, like X amount of followers. And then, you know, just about the, what was it? The representative that, um, that called her, that, that called her the B word. It's called oh, yeah. her, um, and she clapped back on social media yeah. in a tactful way, but it got a lot of traction. Was it the misspelling it, one? The misspelling one? Yeah, I, I, I saw that. Like she, like somebody, like attacked her recently, and that they said something, and then um, she ended up uh, responding back saying, "Like I, you know, I appreciate that you're open about how you feel about me and stuff like that, but you can at least like you know spell it correctly uh-huh. or something like that." I haven't seen that one. This one was about two months ago where she mm. was walking out of, um, I don't know. I don't know what she was walking out of, but I, one of the, one of representative called her the B word and, mm. and she, she went on social media and clapped back. And then she had a, you know, a public testimony about it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's when been really um, interesting, right? Like her movement, like her grassroots, grassroots, uh, progressive mobilization, mm-hmm. social media, but she also kind of is relatable to the current. I mean, she's my she's around my age, like thirty. Mm-hmm. I think um, she might be a year younger. I'm thirty two. Mm-hmm. Um, she might be thirty one or mm-hmm. thirty three. Um, but she's just relatable to to the demogra- this demographic, right, and the younger mm-hmm. demographic about what are human rights. And what's so ironic to me is that is everything what her and Bernie have been fighting for at the grassroots, for the grassroots, for the working poor, for the working class, for, you know, for the middle class that Mm -hmm. don't buy into the class system, Mm -hmm. you know, is that they're fighting for all these agendas, healthcare, um, workers' rights, labor rights, these things that have been echoed since the mid 20th century, but people weren't paying attention to Mm. POC that Mm -hmm. much, right? Mm -hmm. Police reform, that's something that people chicanas and chicanos and chicanas were talking about back then mm-hmm. black activists were talking about back then right mm-hmm. and so when bernie you know bernie takes pride in you know talking talking about that his involvement with um student with activism back in mm-hmm. back in the 70s but i think that's what's so ironic is that she is you know she's a puerto rican she's a latina um but she's gained so much popularity because she's saying things that, you know, a lot of activists from back in the day were talking about mm-hmm. and what a lot of, you know, younger generations right now, um, the 18 to 20, you know, 25 demographic relate to so well. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but of course, social media, I think social media has really shaped her ability to expand her voice mm-hmm. um, to not just, you know, the, the East coast where she's from, um, the Brooklyn, mm-hmm. um, but to expand it to Texas, to California, to mm-hmm. Illinois, right. People know her, yeah, people yeah. respect her. Little girls look up to her, right. Mm-hmm. She's created, she's also published a book that, uh, that talks about climate change and racial justice for, for, I think for, for four to seven year olds. And That's so, awesome. 
And so I so think cool. it's how, how I think the, the politicians, this new wave of politicians, how they're using the tools at hand to advance their cause, right? Advance the mission of, mm-hmm. of political consciousness raising, uh, mobilizing communities, and also keeping them accountable, right? Mm-hmm. So that's what I think. I mean, going back to that's a long-winded answer, but I think that's what's made um, AOC more prominent, right? Mm-hmm. Um, compared to other Latinas, because there's, I mean, in 2018, there was a new wave, right? A new wave of women in office. Mm-hmm. A lot of um, more Latinas. You have Veronica Escobar from El Paso, right? Yeah, have, yeah, um, Veronica Escobar, yeah, yeah. You mm-hmm. have, um, oh, se me, se me um, from Houston. I think her last name is Martinez, pero se me fue. There's another one that, I mean, the first one's in Congress, right? In, mm-hmm. in that level. And so... But I think that's what's made AOC very different is that she's just more active and on social media, not not afraid of clapping back. And so I use the word clap back, but not afraid of like calling people out, yeah, yeah. responding uh-huh, like retaliating, back. Retaliating, yeah, yeah. Yeah, in a tactful way because it's yeah. all tactful. Mm-hmm. It really like, you is. Don't see, you don't, and a lot of it's strategic, right? And mm-hmm. for, I, I, you know, they have to have a PR, right? Mm-hmm. They have to have a person mm-hmm. that watches what they tweet Definitely. or maybe she doesn't maybe that's just her i don't know like um i feel like that uh, she has like she's so she's so smart and she's so witty too that i, I think that she has that capability just like boom you know what i mean it's like that Andele, like, that type of <laughs> yeah so i'm just like you know i, I don't know i i think you're i'll give her more credit for that you know I, <laughs> I, th- I think she does it there's no pr person there <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty. Let's, I'll, I'll joking aside. I'm pretty sure there is though. Um, but I still, regardless, it's still pretty cool. Um, uh, let's step let's step away from politics for a bit. Um, so uh, another thing that I wanted to ask you about is um, your podcast. You you have a podcast as well, and that you're mm-hmm. host of a podcast. Um, can you talk mm-hmm. to us about that? Like, what what subject matters do you cover in your podcast? So for the podcast that I do for the New Books Network, I just focus on. Uh, recent publications, recent monographs in Latinx studies. Cool. So, uh, so I have a lot of, um, what I truly try to focus on is um, topics that involve, you know, politics, issues about women, um, social movement activism, because that's a lot of that, you know, that interests mm-hmm. me and my, and currently as I'm revising my manuscript, that mm-hmm. keeps me flowing and knowledgeable about up-to-date research. Mm-hmm. And so I got, I think that was, it just, how, I came about the New Books Network and the podcasting through another historian, Lori Flores, and I thought it was so cool. I was like, podcasting? You get to talk to people about their work? Because you do that during discussions in grad school, but yeah. it's, you talk about these authors and you look up to them and you're like, I wonder, I wonder how they did this or how they did that, right? And so now I have the opportunity to do that, you know, and it's very structured, you know, New Books Network um, follows a guideline of how you're supposed to conduct these interviews. But for the most part, I really try to do it like yours, Anthony's just like free flowing, um, try to break down any kind of barriers of like ansias or nervousness. Um, and just get to know the author, right. At a very individualistic level and get to know, like pick their brain, like how, like how cool I think it's still so cool. I get to pick the brain of an author mm-hmm. and pick why they wrote what they wrote and why they structured that book the way they structured Definitely. And through this podcast, I've, I've been able to meet, you know, great historians, great scholars that have, you know, turned into friends now that 
that become part of my community act, like community active community um, network. Right. And mm-hmm. we help each other. Right. And so, or they've given me advice because they're much advanced in, in their profession that they tell me, you know, have you thought about this, you know, as you navigate that. And so it's been really cool to do podcast. Um, and I think I'm going to do it for a little while, but right now I'm trying to kind of step back from mm-hmm. doing books. Um, not just because I have the fellowship at Tulane and I need to focus on my, my own book, right. And get that out. But right now I'm focusing, putting my energies into, um, revising my book, but creating and launching a, uh, digital, digital mapping site that's related Ooh. to my research. And so it's right now it's called, um, changing representation, mm-hmm. uh, tracing a Latina involvement in American politics. That's awesome. And so I'm, so I'm really focused on the 20th century and I'm going to scatter a little bit about the 21st century, but to really show, because I think it goes back to that, your question about why is it that AOC has gotten more traction mm-hmm. as opposed to other Latinas and, you know, and so it's not, and this is nothing like negative to say, but that's a, like a very, another important question. Like, why is that? And so with this, the purpose of this digital mapping site is to give this history of Latinas, um, Chicanas, um, Puerto Rican women, uh, Mexican American women in the 20th century that have run for public office or have, and have won and won or have created civic organizations that have politicized uh, communities so, for example, as I mentioned, Irvan Angel will be is on it. Um, I, Marta Cortera, um, a lot of women that were involved in the Rasmus the party. Um, Ruth Mojica Hammer, she was from Chicago, Illinois. Um, uh, Nidia Velasquez from from New York, she was Puerto Rican, and she is Puerto Rican. And she served. She was the first Puerto Rican woman in New York to hold a public office, mm-hmm. and so like. So all these, like, it seems so scattered, like, oh, great, like, you just have women here and here, these dots, right, of these maps. Mm-hmm. But what I'm showing is that, you know, what have they done, like, to mobilize the community? Again, like, what have the women done, right, in office? And so creating annotated bibliography that maps them and then creating lesson plans to integrate it in K through 16, right? That's so cool. And then, um, so that's, that's, that's a project where I'm kind of, aside from a manuscript is that I'm d- devoting energy to is like to make this and bring this, this project live to the public to show, like, give, to remember them, right. To remember mm-hmm. the women that came before AOC because mm-hmm. they did a lot to their communities. And when we don't remember them, we continue with this amnesia, right. That I think mm-hmm. is, there's an amnesia of what Latina power can do to the electoral mm-hmm. system because mm-hmm. then we'll just continue to reiterate like it's the, it's a very gendered gendered story it's the men we always look to the men and what they do because mm-hmm. that's what's been hit, that's been saved in the archive right mm-hmm. that's been saved in public memory mm-hmm. but to give more recollection to latina power and shaping the electorate is you know is what i'm hoping that you know my manuscript and this digital project will do that's so cool. I think that's an awesome project. Like I would Thank love you. to see that. I would love to see that once you finish that. Like that sounds really cool. And like to share it with people too. Like this is like I, I think that's 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 important, you know? It's like what we've been talking about too, is like, you know, and that we're so underrepresented too. So it's to see, you know, you know, women, not just Latinas, but women in general who have been a part of politics and stuff like that, to show like, hey, there have been women who have you know, done some amazing things and 
we got to highlight these women and showcase that, hey, yeah. there's, these, there, there's been steps of progress, whether they won an election or created this or created that. You know, that's awesome. We got to highlight these people and tell their stories. And the fact that you're creating like a whole curriculum out of it, too, that's amazing. That's super cool. You know, again, you're educating not just like um, voters, but, you know, our, our next generations as well, you know, by creating mm-hmm. like these curriculums to showcase like hey this is important you know or maybe even inspire future generations to want to become the next aoc or ruth bader ginsburg or whatever it is you know and so that's powerful stuff they just uh, yeah i think and just same thing contemporary when we think of the castro brothers right julian Mm -hmm. like their mother rosie castro Mm -hmm. she was involved in local politics back in the 70s Mm -hmm. the last one of the party and democratic party and that story gets, you know, kind of perhaps sidelined at the national level in Texas, mm-hmm. in San Antonio, todos saben, right? Todos mm-hmm. saben, but at the national level, it's that story just gets, no, I don't want to know if we race because it's there, but it's not there at the same time. It's, there's like an amnesia, right? There's just, mm-hmm. people forget. And so that's, I mean, that's what's, I'm hoping that we don't, I want to make people remember, right? Because mm-hmm. history is all about social change, right? Definitely. That's, I mean, that, at the root of it, like we think of the, like the discipline itself, history is um, change over time. And yeah, that, yeah, that change over time, that's great. But it's also about creating social change. And maybe mm-hmm. that's just me and maybe that's mm-hmm. just my training. But history has the power of that, right? Mm-hmm. Knowing our history. Mm-hmm. Um, for our community, uh, the Latinx community, knowing our history is important for our survival and our ability to thrive, right, in this mm-hmm. country that that continues to omit us. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. I, I, I mean, I couldn't have put it any better because it's the truth, you know, in all aspects of, um, you know, things, you know, like whether it's media, politics, like we've talked about, you know, it's, we're underrepresented and omitted. You know, we really are. And so it's unfortunate that that's the case. But the fact that you're doing this work to showcase how important it is for Latinas and, and uh, Latina movements and Latinas within politics, I think that's powerful stuff, Tiffany. And you're doing some amazing, amazing work. Um, so with that being said, like, thanks for being a guest this week on, thanks, on Academics on a Mule. Um, is there anything you'd like to shout out or... Um, do you have a website or a place that people can come contact you if they're interested? Yeah, I'm, built, I'm currently building my website, um, but you can follow me on Twitter at, it's at T underscore J underscore Gonzalez. Um, yeah, just feel free to follow me on there. Learn a little bit about what work I'm working on and a little bit about my personal life as well. Um, but yeah, thanks so much, Anthony. Thanks for your time. It's such, it was such a pleasure. It was awesome. It was great, Tiffany. And I'm really looking forward to... Um, hearing more about your book in the future and this digital map that you're working on. And again, whenever you have something uh, on it, send it my way. I would love to share it with, um, with, with people. Cause I think that's such an Thanks amazing, so much. Amazing thing. Yeah. Again, thank you so much. It was great talking to you. Again, thank you so much, Tiffany, for being a guest this week on Academics and Amigos. Be sure to follow her on Instagram at Chicana Adventures or Latinas in Politics. So be sure to give her a follow in those two uh, Instagram accounts. And for all things Academics on Amigos, be sure to check out arramirez.com slash Academics on Amigos. Be sure to follow us on all our social media channels 
And until next time, my friends, be cool and stay awesome.